back to you and I for the Kenai. We're back today in a new setting. We've been doing some at the house pre-COVID, but we're back out in the public um, at the public library, actually. So thanks to Sodot and the Public Library for giving us their conference room today. And we're back with Heidi. Um, some of you may have listened to Heidi's story we did two years ago, almost to the, I'm just over two years ago, actually, now, I think. Um, but Heidi's back with us today just to kind of update us on how recovery's been going and what has been up in her life. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, thanks. Um, so the last two years, um, obviously we had COVID-19, um, and that was kind of a big challenge for the recovery community down here. Um, I know that there were some recovery meetings that did close down, but, you know, definitely grateful for other media platforms to do things like, um, Zoom meetings, um, obviously the telephone still works, so that's definitely something that, that I did. Um, in the midst of COVID, I was um, finishing up my bachelor's in psychology and I was doing an internship for um, Planned Parenthood, and so I actually um, did some work for them, and in doing that, I started up doing one of the things that I did in early recovery, which was write letters. Oh, cool. Um, what kind of letters? Um, well, mainly to, like, my grandma, who's mm -hmm. um, got dementia, and so it was more like a way for me to do that for her. Um, we did lots of family photos. Um, I picked up a couple different hobbies. Um, just things to try to keep myself busy. I was lucky enough, you know, I feel blessed enough to, for what I do for a living, I'm already tied to the recovery community that way also. And so, um, you know, I was still in contact with a lot of different people that way. Um, and for people who may not have listened to the first story when hearing this for the first time, uh, when we recorded the first time, what was your position again? I was a counselor yeah. at Serenity And that's House. changed since now, right? Because you got your degree and you graduated. Yeah. I, um, I, first of all, congratulations. We're all very excited for Heidi. So if you're like listening to this, you could clap for us. And for Heidi, that'd be sick. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what's your position now? Um, I am. So I started out as a counselor one. Um, and I moved up to what they consider counselor two. It's the highest counseling you can get without a master's degree um, and so there's a new program um, here in the state it's our Diamond Willow program which is a population specific residential treatment program and um, the company that I work with Serenity House they um, saw a lot of potential in me and, and they asked me to really help them um, to create the program and so I've been working there for the last almost six months and yeah. and um, just kind of helping them design and route a new program for people in the state who struggle with um, extensive trauma, traumatic brain injuries, people have um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, um, some people that have, you know, their disease is a little more chronic or advanced who need more than, you know, maybe a 30 or 45 day program, but that's, mm. that's specific to their needs. Right, cool. Yeah. So compared to the 30-day program, because um, I think a lot of our listeners, 
uh, if you've listened to our stuff before, are pretty familiar with the 30-day program, you know, because a lot of people we've talked to have gone through Serenity House specifically actually here in our mm-hmm. community, and a lot of the, our listeners are hopefully people from our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do, what are some of, like, the similarities and differences between the new program and, well, the program obviously still exists, but these two different programs? Um, so I can't, you know, I'll do my best to share my part. Of course, I don't want to get, I don't want to muddy the waters a little, I, mm-hmm. I need a whole lot here since, you know, it's just, I'm sure, you know, my bosses could probably do a little bit better of sharing the differences and the similarities. Um, some of the differences are it's a slower pace, it's more repetitive, mm-hmm. um, and everything is, is done um, in a way that, is specifically tailored to the individual it is 12-step based still Mm -hmm. so both programs encourage you know recovery as far as um, 12-step based you know having that community of support and other people in recovery Um, we have peer supports so that's primarily who is the front runner Mm -hmm. so I pretty much back them instead of where is Serenity House peer supports kind of back the counselors so there's that role reversal there which creates a different type of therapeutic bond for the client which is really beneficial and helpful for them Mm -hmm. um and what else can i tell you that's pretty broad that are some main differences um obviously it's you know uh they have the opportunity to leave the facility um, even though it's a 24-hour RAN facility, they do have the opportunity to leave throughout the day, mm-hmm. which has helped with COVID. Um, they have the opportunity to go to outside meetings and things like that. Um, but, of course, we still have you know mandates that they have to follow because we're a hospital facility and we want to keep everyone safe. Cool. So. Um, and one more time, uh, you said this because it caters to a slightly different audience, right? People with more chronic and long-term or um, different challenges you yeah said. different uh, challenges one more time for listeners to hear that just in case like we know somebody that could benefit in some yeah ways. i don't want to mess it up yeah generally what happens is that they go through serenity house first before okay. they come to our facility because we're actually considered a low a slightly lower level of care than serenity house okay um so yeah that's just kind of the way the ladder works right yeah no i think that's cool though because i think um if i remember correctly at least it was when I last read up. Maybe I need to do it again. But this community, at one point, I remember, was one of the only places in the state where you could get A to Z care from detox to house and then into Diamond Willow, transitional living. Yeah. All that kind of And cool now stuff. Diamond Willow is not only transitional living, it's also they also have a residential portion to the program. So we have a few beds that are for transitional living, so you can go from from that population specific level of care to um, intensive outpatient level of care, which is that transitional spot to um, transitional living. Um, But usually that bed space is, um, it's a lot smaller because we want to, you know, give um, that residential space what it needs to grow and, and help others in the community. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's like, and I really like that idea, actually. I like this process, you know, because I think it does take care of people. And, like, I think it sounds like your program is kind of addressing that middle ground. That yep. has kind of fall. There's a crack that's been existing there between their transitional living at times, you know, where you kind of go right from 
everyday stuff to being a little bit more in charge of your stuff without mm-hmm. like that middle transition. So yeah. I feel like we're really addressing it now instead of like a step-by-step basis on like a full spectrum basis. Well, and then there's also this really interesting portion, which we call um, low-intensity residential, which is a step farther down from what mm-hmm. we offer. And so um, those, those places, um, you know, are geared towards like activities of daily living, like oh, continual, cool. like even, it could be even longer repetitive things like budgeting, how to continually to keep a job. Yeah. Whereas Diamond Willow, you know, we have an employment specialist, so they'll help you get a job. They'll help you, um, you know, what's appropriate for an interview, things like that. We have case management that works with us exclusively once, you know, each client, you know, sees a case manager at least once every two weeks. Um, so we have like a whole team over there that is kind of this multifaceted, um, way of working to kind of help them pick up the puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. And so then if they still need continued assistance, then we might, you know, refer them. It could still go, you know, they could still be referred for even longer treatment. That's even at a lower level of care where they have their own apartment and, things like that so they're not actually living in the facility anymore and that's that's usually out of out of this area but yeah um, they still have that option too yeah no that's really cool Alex uh, and you got to kind of help plan and write and design some of that yeah. stuff yeah it, was, it felt really it felt I felt really I felt really honored to be to be asked to be a part of that and um to be a part of that even now is pretty amazing um it's really amazing to watch the recovery community just co- to continually embrace people like they embraced me, um, you know, and that's one of the things I really think is unique about our community um, is that they're just, it's, and I've even heard people from the lower 48 who come and visit our community, like there's not a lot of communities like our recovery community out yeah. there. No, I'll say from my own personal experience, like where I grew up in Montana that I know of, you know, and I could be wrong, I haven't been back there in a long time, but my experience there was kind of like, there is a litany of 30-day, 60-day options, maybe even some 90-day options, but this full-spectrum care that like is available here is something that I haven't really seen, at least in my personal experience, so I think like to validate that, I guess, a little bit is my experience as well. Yeah. So I think if, yeah, so if you happen to be like, happen to be in this community and seeking care like it's a pretty fortunate place to be seeking care which sounds kind of i mean that sounds a little weird i know but i mean silver lining i suppose yeah it is a silver lining because i mean it doesn't it's still it's it's i don't believe that you know it's a one-size-fits-all either Mm -hmm. um and i do believe that you know there's definitely some other phenomenal programs out there in the state that i've seen help millions of people um that you know our program it just wasn't the right it, I don't want to say right fit but we weren't able to give them what they needed mm-hmm. and so that's been really beneficial too to just keep those channels open with them and um, you know help the recovery community and that's really kind of where my recovery is taking me is about it's about giving back but it definitely does look a little different than what it did two years ago mm-hmm. um, and I think COVID was that definitely changed a lot of things um uh you know one of the recovery communities here definitely has had a really hard time springing back and you know i i think just recovery communities in general 
they're starting to springboard back, but some mm-hmm. of them have been slower than others. And it's unfortunate because we've even lost a couple of meetings. And I think it was because, you know, kind of the controversy of, um, and I'm going to bring it up, some meetings were willing to um, meet COVID guidelines and other meetings weren't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, I find that unfortunate simply because, you know, if you look at the traditions of the 12 steps, you know, yes, we are self-supporting and yes, we, you know, have a way of governing, but we also are here to be productive members of society. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we aren't following some of those mandates, are we actually being productive or are we harming? Right. Um, And in a way, I think that that was a double-edged sword that Mm -hmm. not only harmed some of the other 12-step based communities, but also harmed, you know, put others in potential harm. Right. Um, and I'm not going to go into if it was a lack of ignorance or if it was, um, you know, just defiance because as addicts generally we tend to be pretty defiant anyways or just rebellion. Um, but it, it did have a uh, frustration with the situation, you know, yeah. I think that happens to people when like there's a sense of something you can't control, especially like an airborne pathogen that you can't see, like yeah. until you feel like there is that sense of like, where you kind of don't want to believe it. So you kind of go on as normal yeah. so that you feel as if like it won't affect you, you know? Well, and regardless of whether you want to believe it or not, you know, just, it, there was an effect that it did have, yeah, like that's the, the bottom line is it did have an effect on the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zoom is not very personable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was definitely, I know for me, that was really rough for me to connect on Zoom. I did do quite a few um, workshops. I have a couple friends who are really involved in service work at like a world level, at a national level. Um, and so there was some really cool experiences as far as learning. I got to do a lot of different learning platforms. Um, we went over things like the 12 Concepts. So there's the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and then there's also the 12 concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people know about those, and so I got to learn a lot about the 12 concepts. Um, and um, that was really cool to kind of like do a weekly workshop on that. So obviously yeah. that was 12 weeks, so there's three months right there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then um, we did some towards the end, I'd like to think of it as the end of COVID, you know, last summer we did some outdoor activities. We had meetings outside where everyone brought their own lawn chair and everyone sat six feet apart. And, um, you know, we were able to open that up to, to various people where they could feel safe to attend, which was really cool. And it's cool. And especially, you know, like, I think, I bet for some people, I'd be willing to imagine that, like, man, that had to feel so, like, just good and like liberating mm-hmm. you know especially after being isolated for so long and I know even like myself you know just like just that simple isolation was a struggle like that lack of connectivity like we kind of t- we had some cool conversations before we started recording about like this need for connectivity you mm-hmm. know and how COVID kind of stripped us of that whether like you said we liked it or not you know whether we wanted to believe it or not like it had an effect and it kind of did strip us of that connectivity in some ways mm-hmm. especially with Zoom not being super personable yeah. Um, so I think that is really cool. And I saw a lot of people, they were just craving, like, even just a hug, mm-hmm. you know? And I just remember, it just, just broke my heart. Yeah. You know, um, having a kid at home all for the mm-hmm. school year, she actually did amazing. It was really cool. <laughs> she was really far behind, and um, 
I got to be her teacher. How was that experience? That it was, was amazing. Well, when she did go back to school, finally she was actually had progressed farther than they had projected because she is on an IEP. Oh, cool. Um, so having that one-on-one -on -one was what she needed. Right, yeah. You know, um, yeah. And as far as connection, um, luckily, you know, we have a pretty amazing support network. So she was still able to get a lot of that connection that she needed. Cool. So... Yeah, that is interesting how that, because um, I'm still in school, and so, like, I have friends, like, who are literally, like, dude, I did two weeks, man, and I withdrew for the semester, because, like, I couldn't do it, like, I couldn't do the online, like, it just wasn't working for me, I wasn't learning. Yeah, I did, I, I did school during COVID also. Yeah, and, like, I was, like, I loved it. That honestly. was my last semester, I was, like, we will finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 online schooling works well for me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't need that. I prefer it, honestly, over sitting in a class for an hour and a half. I'd much rather sit uh, in my pajamas. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, somewhere comfortable, you can do the work. No, yeah. I'm totally the same way. And I like working at my own pace. Like, mm -hmm. I don't like having to wait for the next week to, like, get new information, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, just hit me with a reading list and let me do it. Yeah. Especially, I don't know, maybe that's just, like, my independence, to, or my feeling that I want to be independent sometimes. But. Yeah. Well, I think it's pacing, too. Like, mm -hmm. if you're not getting the information at the speed that you want it, you're just going to be like, okay, this is getting, like, this is way too... That's like reading, in my mind, is so cool because it's like watching a movie, but at your speed, right? <laughs> like, if you want to speed up the scene, just read faster. And so, but then when you're watching a movie, sometimes I get bored because I'm like, oh, man, this is the part of the book where I just be like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of step work. This lot, I mean, up until about five months ago. Really? Actually, maybe three months for, ago. And so some of our, for some of our listeners, too, um, like I said, that may not have caught the first one yet, you've been in recovery for a long time. Yeah, I yeah. have. I have. Um, I will be 14, you know, no fronts, um, on the 27th. So I'm pretty excited about yeah. that. And so step work... In year 14, something that you still actively yeah. and engage in on purpose? Yeah, because yeah. um, my, I, I will always say this, my addict is always alive and well. Um, I don't despise that that portion of, I don't even know if I want to call it my psyche. Right. Um, but I don't despise that piece of myself um, at all because it's, it's an asset. It's not... It's not something that I need to shy away from or shame today. Mm -hmm. um, there are still parts of that character that are very helpful, like in relating to other people. Mm -hmm. um, having, you know, I find some empathy in that, and I find it in other people when I'm able to, you know, think back to portions of my life where I was in struggle and turmoil and what that was like for me. And that's really important, um, especially to be able to help others and so if I continually shame that part of myself or try to slough that part of myself I'm like missing a whole piece yeah. that I need mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely you know a big a big thing um, so step work has been huge to kind of do my rain checks right yeah, yeah. I need to do rain checks mm -hmm. um, and I really do believe that you know every experience I have is, you know, I'm continually like pulling layers off and mm -hmm. I have to be willing to look at those. Obviously if I'm not willing to look at them, 
you know, that's a piece of pain that I'm robbing myself free from. Right. And I don't want to do that yeah. anymore. And kind of stopping yourself from healing from, Yeah. You know, it's like band-aids. Yeah. yeah. Well, and band-aids only work for so long, and then mm -hmm. I'm bleeding out all over everybody else, and then pretty soon nobody wants to be around me because I'm a grouch. And, <laughs> you know, and then I've got people who are like, dude, you should probably go to a meeting. I'm like, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I still, I still have a home group. I still, you know, attend meetings, not as regularly as I would like to. Um, I don't, I'm not going to give any excuses for that. I do believe that it's important to attend meetings regularly. Um, I attend on average one to two meetings a week. Um, I would like it to be three. Mm -hmm. That just has not been something that has happened recently. Um, and so that's something that I've been slowly working back up towards um, the last couple of months. Yeah, cool. So what does your step so what does your step work look like now compared to early recovery? Or even like not necessarily early recovery, because I'm sure it was if I remember correctly, it was pretty intense early on. It's um, it's still intense. Um, this last fourth and fifth step, um, for those of you that don't know what a fourth and fifth step is, you know, make you uh, make an inventory of people, places, and things that you resent, um, and um, generally you have a fears inventory, um, you have a resentment inventory, and you have a sex inventory. And sex inventory usually means ro romantic relationships, it doesn't mean just sex. <laughs> um, and your fears list usually that's people, places, and things, which all boils down to um, something, you know, why are you afraid? Usually I'm afraid of, you know, um, I'm going to get hurt. Um, someone's not going to like me for who I am. It's all shame rooted basically is what mm -hmm. it comes down to for me anyways. Right. Um, not a lot of it is my imminent safety anymore in early recovery was. So that's definitely okay. different. Um, and then I did a, a fifth step is where you share it with someone else. And of course your higher power. Um, and so I did that with, uh, someone else this time rather than my sponsor because my sponsor was actually gone oh, okay. um, for a while and I needed to do it like then because mm -hmm. um, I was I was in rough shape I mean yeah. COVID kind of had like this lagging effect it was like oh it's over everything's fine and then it was like three months later it was like bam like everything hit yeah. And so I was, I was in a lot of pain and so I really needed to do that. And it was definitely a different experience to do it with a different lady. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm really grateful I did cause it did show me how much I've grown. I'm willing to be vulnerable with, with people I don't know, but people that I admire or I feel that I can trust. Right. So that was kind of cool to be vulnerable that way. Cause I've never really been vulnerable that way. I'm more of a person that's like, I need to get to know you and I really need to get to know you. Okay. Right. I kind of know you. So we will talk about this and then, but I just kind of jumped feet first, which isn't something I had done until, you know, I mean, most experiences were just early recovery when I had done that. So right. it was cool to especially be back at that place. You probably don't have much of a choice, you know, right. especially you moved here, right? You're not necessarily, you're from Washington or Oregon. Yeah. The, the same. Coast. The coast. <laughs> just the coast. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So you probably don't. I'm sure. And like, that's probably was. How was that experience jumping feet first compared to early recovery? Like, like you said, you had grown. And so it almost like, felt natural. 
Nice. It was kind of cool to be able to be like, huh, like I'm thrusted back in change. I'm always in change. Mm -hmm. But it did show me kind of how much I've grown. I'm not as resistant to change as I once was. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still stomp my feet and, you know, throw a fit. But I don't. I don't see as many glaring behaviors as I used to. doesn't mean there aren't different ones, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, to each his own on that. And, mm-hmm. of course, I still get to, to get to do work on that. So, yeah. Yeah. I've been really curious um, about, I know you finished your degree. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, how has that education affected your recovery or affected your views on addiction? And just, like... Or has it? Maybe maybe it's kind of a different field, you know, um, kind of personal life. I try to keep them separate as much as possible, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of a another double-edged, a double-edged sword because, you know, I chose to take a different position in the field I'm in, and so there have been some ethics boundaries that I've really had to, like, establish and change, and that's... I'm not going to say there isn't some grief about that because there is... Mm-hmm. Um, so that means my recovery has looked a little different. As mm-hmm. far as my degree goes, I try to keep that separate from my recovery life because I, when I'm in, when I'm doing step work, I try to, sometimes I get a, not sometimes, sometimes I have a really big head mm-hmm. and my ego really gets in the way. And the reality is, is I try to remember that the stuff that's being taught in what I'm trying to learn, I have to take myself out of it for a minute and really just like make it really simple because if I don't, I'm going to screw it up because I screw it up every time. (laughs) So like my sponsor doesn't work in the field of addiction at all. Um, (laughs) my close friends don't work in the field of addiction. Um, I have one who does, um, but it's different kind of relationship and so it's really important for me to keep those two things separate on that end. Mm-hmm. It is different with work, though, because we do talk a lot of 12-step based stuff. So um, that is also like a different kind of hat there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to, I've kind of moved more towards like the service aspect than really, um, I don't share as much in meetings anymore. Mm-hmm things like that there's some things that have changed for sure simply because I want to keep I don't want to muddy the waters so I don't want I don't want to project that idea that you know if you get a degree or whatever that you don't need to do 12 step because you've already learned it all as if the knowledge was the major limiting factor yeah yeah it kind of did the opposite yeah someone says to Heidi like you should go to meeting Heisa well, you know, I'm kind of a psych master, so like, I don't really need. Yeah, <laughs> need, need, and right there is just like straight BS, and that would not come out of my mouth. <laughs> and I would probably sit there and think about it for a minute because that's how I am. I'm a very much a pause type of person, and I think about what someone has to say, and then weigh out like, do I agree with this or not agree with this, and is this or just their opinion, or how much of this is factual? And um, my my brain's always worked that way, so. Most of the time, I'm like, you know, thanks for that. And, well, do you want to go to a meeting? I'll be like, sure, I'll take a hostage. you want to go with me since <laughs> right. you suggested it? <laughs> we can go together, no. you know. Um, but I still have, I'm still willing to be, I know I have that autonomy. I'm no better than, no less than anyone else. Yeah. And that's, like, the biggest principle for me that 
has kept me planted on the ground and not up in the sky floating around thinking I'm better than, mm-hmm. you know, cause I mean, there's all kinds of people that go into meetings, you know, to the junkie on the street, to the doctor who just came from a staff meeting. Like when you walk in the door, you don't have, you're not, you don't have more time than anyone else and you aren't better than anyone else. You're all the same. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that freedom I get, but we do have, there are some challenges living in a small community for sure. Yeah. Someone will bring up, oh, my counselor, blah, 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 in a meeting. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> we got to talk about this again, don't we? You know? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, there's always, we've talked about that quite a bit, I think, that double-edged sort of tight-knit communities, you know? like. Well, and I guess my big mission with some of that, too, is because we do have a lot of people in the community who do peer support or do counseling or whatever. And, like, I just want people to understand that it's not you don't I don't take the position because I want to be looked at as some awesome human being who is better than the recovery community or whatever it's just literally for me it's just another way to try to reach someone suffering mm-hmm. like it doesn't even have to be an addict anymore right. that's why I have that bachelor's degree in psychology anyways mm-hmm. someday I might decide not to work with addicts I might decide to work with another population like so it's just how can I best be of service and that's really what recovery has taught me oh yeah no I was going to ask how like if that's something that's shifted from like your goals when you started your degree Mm -hmm. versus graduating and kind of where you're at now yeah so it sounds like it has you know was that kind of like your idea going into school was that like you were going to be a substance use counselor for (laughs) a long while well I always shared about how like people are like oh someday I'm going to be a substance abuse counselor like I never had that idea in recovery I was like nope you know I was yeah I had totally different plans and it just kind of fell in my lap and I went with it Mm -hmm. and um I've just always loved psychology so I was like let's just finish this degree because I already have an, just a general associates of arts degree right. and I was like well what else can we do mm-hmm. and I, I like school so I was like I'll just go back and I got the bachelor's with the minor and da 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 so someday I might change I don't know mm-hmm. yeah no so another like pre-conversation we had was about you going back to get your master's is that like eventually something that's like possibly on the horizon for you maybe maybe (laughs) yeah maybe in a couple years maybe it's just really expensive yeah to go back to school and i'm you know i don't really qualify for any like student aid i did get a scholarship the last year of school though which was really cool it was a couple grand but it was a couple grand and i i actually the last year of school i paid for school all by myself so that felt really good to be able to be like I'm going to pay my student bill, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I still, still have some debt from my early twenties where I was young and dumb and <laughs> for some reason hadn't thought about interest and all that stuff. So, right. yeah. so if you are going to go back to school, I really suggest that you look into scholarships and, um, learn some financial stuff before you do it. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Recovery has definitely changed and blossomed in different ways, which has been really beneficial. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, like I was telling Heidi before we started, uh, I actually, I really like Heidi's story, honestly. It's kind of, 
like was one that I was really excited to talk about because I think for first of all like for myself even and for I'm sure other people in fairly early recovery as well like 14 years seems like a long time you know and like it just it does I don't know why but it seems like a long time and I think like it's cool not only that like you know just staying course and maintaining for 14 years as possible you know which like that is something in itself like I'm never gonna like decredit like someone who does that you know who maintains and like does their thing for 14 years like that's still like that's still hard it's still cool um but to see someone like really like you said like blossom in ways and like really kind of starting to flourish in recovery and like especially what I really actually think is cool about your story too is like the fact you got into recovery so young and like have continued to grow throughout the, pretty much the entirety of the 14 year process, you know, is like it's something that I just think was really inspirational, you know, that was really cool. Cause like, I think there are some people out there who like, I mean, even when you get into recovery, you know, like you said, like now it's not just about people and their addictions. It's like, about everybody now and whether like beats people in addiction or just people with some mental health challenges or people just with some self-esteem challenges or whatever it is I think like oh man like whatever your goal is right it's so, like so yours was your bachelor's for now and then like your job like you're just progressing in those ways like whatever that goal is that at one point seems so far mm-hmm. is like there are examples of how it's attainable you know yeah. and like in a measured tempered way to where like it doesn't even really have to be like this one day wake up like super like amazing thing you know it kind of sounds like you took it as it came and like just took some like take some time to think about your opportunities and like kind of take it as it comes and like your recovery as well you know it seems like still doing the steps still working through some things that were probably present you know 14 years ago like I I just think this continual growth process is like something that people need to know is possible and like 14 years, 28 years, the next 14 after that, you know, like, are all there and, like, doable and, like, yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. all possible, you know, I think, like, that's just the first big hurdle, like, for a lot of people. Right. Well, in, like, 14 years of recovery, I was just counting on my hands, so I'm actually going to be 13, not 14, because I did relapse after nine months. Oh, right, yeah, The first time, I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) So, I mean... That's bad when I, like, forget how old I'm going to be, but um, maybe it's, like, a mid-30s thing. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that shows how little you think about it, in a sense. Yeah. Like, maybe recovery was more the focus of your mind when you're like, oh, I got a year, or even, like, oh, I got a month. You know, maybe this is possible. Yeah. But then you're 14, you're like, 14, 13, you know. It's it's been a while, but it's not at the forefront of your mind in the same sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did have this really interesting experience. I went to Vegas. In April, my best friend got married, my best friend in the whole wide world. Hmm. And she partakes in activities. And I was the only one there that was sober. And I knew it was going to be difficult because, I mean, it was right in the midst of COVID. I hadn't had a lot of connection. Hmm. Um, I had done some things to make sure that I, I kept myself rooted, like talk to my sponsor, talk to women in recovery, told people where I was going, what I would be doing. Like, had a a safety plan as you will I had a recovery plan Mm -hmm. and um, it was like a whole shock being down there like I was so overwhelmed Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually realized how much I didn't like it it was weird it was kind of like I had this my addict had built up this whole idea in my head like oh you know kind of what we had discussed earlier about how like 
oh, you never got to party and you never got to do this or that. And like mm -hmm. being in Vegas and literally what felt like an ashtray <laughs> the whole time. Like by the time, like mid, mid being there, I lost my voice mm. because of like the smoke and how oh. bad it was. Oh and God. like all the smog and everything. And I'm like, this place is so disgusting. Like, <laughs> I actually hated it. Yeah. So kind of that definitely felt good too to be like, wow, I'm not, I'm not even that person anymore. Like, right. like I still sometimes fantasize about like a Corona on the beach in the Bahamas, but I mean, I could be fine with like a virgin pina colada on the beach in the Bahamas too. Mm -hmm. Like I'm okay with that today. Yeah. So that, that experience I think really did need to happen so that I could see like really miss out on anything right yeah no definitely romanticize in your mind yeah like, oh vegas yeah. is gonna be so great and then you think oh, so great yeah not so great i mm. didn't win any money Boo. i lost money what? Um, we did we did drive we drove from portland to las vegas and we stayed the night in lake tahoe which was cool because nice. i'd never been to lake tahoe mm -hmm. um so yeah, so we did a whole road trip, drew, drove through Death Valley. Oh, that was dude. so cool. That is awesome. Um, so I mean, I've had some really awesome experiences this last year for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, as far as romanticizing, like it's still, it's still not. It's just not. It's not there anymore, and that's mm -hmm. okay. So that was a new level of just being okay. But when I did get home, my head was spun pretty bad actually um i fell into a pretty pretty nice little four week slump right um lots of crying really upset um just because i think a big part of it was you know i had this like freedom all of a sudden mm -hmm. i wasn't a mom i wasn't a wife i wasn't a boss I didn't have any responsibilities for like two weeks i was with my best friend and yeah. i was in the situation where i was around a bunch of people and I had the opportunity to do things that went against my values and I didn't do them and so when I got home it was kind of like this I had this guilt shame thing going on because I had even felt that way or had thought about doing things mm. you know and not like drugs but just just like this it almost felt like it wasn't okay to have that freedom right. which was really weird yeah. And so I did struggle with that for a while. Um, you know, and during the pandemic, I actually did see a therapist. Yeah. I hadn't seen a therapist in about four years. Um, and so I did see a therapist for some mental health. And that was definitely helpful, too. So, yeah. I mean, my supports came from all different angles. Um, but when I got home from Vegas, it was definitely kind of like a little, not necessarily like an identity. Yeah kind of like an identity crisis yeah. like am I just a mom am I just a counselor am I just someone in recovery am I just this am I just that you know and mm. where's this freedom and right. you know once again my addict was alive and while trying to chase that freedom mm -hmm. you know because things always look so much shinier and prettier on the outside yeah and mm -hmm. so so, like so I said, say whatever shines isn't gold. Yeah, whatever glitters isn't always yeah. gold. And that's something, that's actually what, like, what it came down to. So, between, it wasn't until um, a little bit after, I want to say beginning of June before I actually came out of it. 
Wow, yeah. Yeah, I really came out of it. And mm-hmm. that was literally what it had boiled down to. It was like, not everything that glitters is gold. Right, you yeah. Know? And I really just kind of had to come to that, like, that's kind of where it's at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And same goes for reco- recovery. Everyone thinks that, you know, you're going to get into recovery and it's not going to be rough. And so that's a not true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. So. There's some hard work that's going to have to be done. Yeah. You know, it's going to be... And especially, like, when you're working through some of those root causes, you know, like, mm-hmm. especially for people getting into early recovery, like, I feel like sometimes that's a barrier, even subconsciously, you know, that, like, it's going to be painful at first, at least, you know, and like, like you said, at times, but I think that's like a, it's like a function of life, you know, like, mm-hmm. life at times is going to be painful regardless of your intrapersonal situation, you know, okay. like, there are going to be external pressures and pain throughout life and at least now like with recovery you have some tools you know to like cope really yeah we always go back to like those coping mechanisms like in almost every podcast i feel like we talk about coping mechanisms but i honestly am not like upset about that in any way shape or form because i think they're so important well no you have to have them like and recovery teaches you that Mm -hmm. it always teaches you that pick up your phone call somebody that's a coping mechanism go to a meeting that's a coping mechanism pray that's a coping mechanism meditate that's a coping mechanism like they become the mechanisms that we use instead of using drugs or alcohol like we've literally replaced one thing with another Mm -hmm. so we've taken something that we're replacing that's unhealthy with something that's healthier not saying that it's always like the best coping mechanism because one of my favorites that i still battle with is i don't like something or i don't like a feeling i'm gonna go take a nap Right. You know, like yeah. that's like, I'm like, oh, let's sleep, you mm-hmm. know, or let's go have a bowl of ice cream, you know. So mm-hmm. <laughs> those, you know, tend to be like not the healthiest and those, you know, isolation and obviously overeating don't uh, mix very well with my addict because that is usually easier for my addict to kind of hang out in and right. and play the pity party. But those other healthier ones, like call somebody, go help somebody those things are it's it's always going to go back to those coping mechanisms i don't think it matters who you are or what it is yeah it has to go back to right i think okay no you go ahead i talked a lot i think anytime something happens you're going to respond to it as humans something comes up we respond to it but then like the coping mechanisms is okay how are you going to respond to this what action are you going to change take are you even going to choose an action or are you just going to see what feels right in the moment mm-hmm. and like man I, I totally relate to that because last night I was like man I'm tired ice cream sounds amazing no actually sleep would have been the solution but I had ice cream because I didn't think about it I was just like it sounds good right now mm-hmm. but then like to take and, and make even you saying oh you know I had a safety plan in Vegas and you, you kind of were like it's kind of ridiculous that's not the look on your face almost mm-hmm. but no because that's like if everything goes to crap, basically, what are you gonna do? Yeah. And you're making that choice before it even happens. So smart. Because if you're relying on your motivation at that time of like, how am I gonna feel? Oh man, that's risky because I don't know how I'm gonna feel in an hour. Like that's just up for grabs more or less. So yeah. to to have that those plans in place and like have basically a strategy. Honestly. Well like even know yourself well enough and be humble enough to enact it, you know? Like I think that's important. I like, and maybe even like not even people in recovery but just like people in general you know like oh you know I'll, like whatever comes about I'll be able to do it you know like I'll be able to handle it and you're like that's a little bit for yeah. all of us I think myself included it's a little bit delusional you yeah. know like it's always good to at least have like some sort of 
plan. Something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even just like in general, you know, like, and one always like, I have this little mantra that I use, just like smile and breathe, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, because I don't know always like what's going to happen, you know? And I think that's one thing like that, that uncertainty is something that a lot of just humans kind of, like we all kind of battle with, you know? So like whenever something that like comes up that kind of shakes me a little bit, you know, it like makes me like do this weird little thing that I do where I go like that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, just smile and breathe for a second until like you formulate like a solid like plan or answer, you know, like just yeah. giving yourself that space to even like, how am I feeling about this that just happened? You know, like, okay, so what are we going to do? You well, know? Yeah. Well, and the reality is, is I have lots of feelings all the time and I did an early recovery and you know, I think that's like a huge difference between people that suffer from addiction and people that don't suffer from addiction is that I rely on my feelings as facts mm. and they're not, that's not the truth. It's just right. a feeling, you know, and I mm. hate saying it's just, I feel like I'm almost like I'm degrading it, you know, by mm. saying it's just a feeling, but it is. But I mean, I know for me, my biggest struggle has always been a so sucked into those feelings and it feels like it's consuming and I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown in it, you know? And so it's like those coping skills are like, it's like, gives me the opportunity to come up for air. Like I can actually breathe when I do them Mm -hmm. because that's like, that's actually like the action. You know, I can have all kinds of thoughts about things and be stuck in that fantasy, that delusion of it's like horrible or it's awesome. But mm-hmm. man, like it's such a foggy, hazy wave of just emotion that I, f- I feel sometimes this is impossible to get out of. And so I can feel however I want to feel about it, but I still have to do the same thing I did in early recovery, which is make a safety plan, mm-hmm. um, call women in recovery for me. Obviously if your guys can be called men in recovery, cause even today, if I call men in recovery, like they're not going to give me probably what I need to hear. Cause I'm sorry, but our brains do think differently. Um, you know, on certain levels. And mm-hmm. so, especially when I'm talking about highly charged subjects that are feelings or emotions, like I might be more apt to talk to a female than a male. Um, and so really, I guess I, my big thing I kind of want to end with is, you know, like whatever it is that you're feeling, like for me, I just haven't, I've just recognized that I have that feeling and I let myself feel it, but I don't stay there for very long because I always get swept away mm-hmm. when I stay there. And that's been, that's just what's happened, you know? And even in recovery, sometimes I get swept away by those feelings and it can be a really lonely place. And recovery has, you know, really helped me to see that, like, there are speckles of light that I can kind of hold on to and move towards. And I don't have to live in that place where, you know, I um, isolate and feel horrible and. I don't have to be alone, you know? So for me, that's kind of, you know, what I want to end with is definitely you don't have to be alone. Um, and if you're trying to look for an excuse not to go to a meeting or not to reach out to somebody, you know, um, for every one excuse, you can come up with two or three excuses on why you should. Yeah. And it's not shaming anybody by shooting on them, but, you know, at the same time, you know, maybe stepping outside of that comfort zone of those feelings that you're always familiar with, maybe stepping into a zone where you're doing something different. So, yeah, no, 
I think that's really powerful. I can really appreciate the sentiment of like recognition, recognizing those emotions without dwelling in those emotions. You know, like mm -hmm. it is a delicate balance between be like letting yourself feel and not, like you said, get swept away. So I think for a lot of people, that is a good note to end on because I think that's just a human thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, giving yourself that same space of recognize, feel, and then but approach people in a way to where it's not like an emotional reactive response that may create some damage in your interpersonal relationships um which are actually affects like your external world you know like mm -hmm. in very real ways that are damaging but yeah no Heidi this has been super awesome actually like mm -hmm. I said I was really excited to do this in the first place I'm really glad we did um like I said if there is uh anybody out there who's looking to get into recovery today um, there are lots of resources in town. Uh, obviously, we work with Serenity House fairly closely. Um, they're looking at the intake office is located at 245 North Binkley Street. Do you remember the phone number? 907-714-4521. Awesome. Yeah, I always forget the phone number. But that, I know the phone <laughs> <laughs> we always got a quiz at the end. Yeah. Do you know the phone number? <laughs> they're usually open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., call their intake office and leave a message if for some reason they're you need you know they'll, they'll get back to you as soon as they can we have an awesome staff that works really closely most of us are in recovery or have an extensive background in recovery we know somebody that's in recovery or we've been directly affected by addiction um, and they also work with a lot of other partnerships in the community to um, change for the Kenai specifically so Maybe if you're interested in volunteering, you can get a hold of one of these guys yeah. or Sherry Connor over at the intake office and, mm -hmm. and she can point you in a couple different directions depending on what you want to do yeah, or maybe. how you want to help. Definitely. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I'm really glad uh, we got the opportunity to do this again and catch up with you and kind of celebrate some of these experiences over the last couple of years. Kind of um, hopefully, you know, if anybody, and the other thing too is if anybody's struggling now and is in just recovery long term, you know, and is kind of having some of these like, man, I shouldn't be having some of these same thoughts, you know, I shouldn't be having, I don't know, just having setting expectations for yourself that are kind of unreasonable. Like, just know that you're not alone and that like those are valid, really, you know, and that like it's, if you do the work, it's going to be okay. You know? Yeah, and it's really important to note that like long term recovery you know, doesn't mean that I'm all better. Like, it's mm -hmm. a daily thing. Like, I wake up in the morning and I, I have to, you know, make that commitment to myself. Um, and, you know, the other part of that, too, is just because I have clean time doesn't mean that I'm not human and I don't struggle with addiction because it's it's not necessarily, you know, something that is going to go away just because I work some steps and... I go to meetings and, um, you know, I have to put some work behind it and I have to continually do that. And that might look different for, for everybody. There's some people that don't do 12 step that have great lives and I, my hat is totally off to you. I just know for me, you know, this is my story and, and I have to be, there's certain things that I have to do in order to maintain and keep recovery. Um, other ways, you know, I've shown myself time and time again, um, what happens when I don't have, well, I guess a safety plan. So, <laughs> thanks. This is United Kingdom.